Hi, everyone. Tyler here. If you've been following the podcast on any of our audio platforms, you'd probably recognize that there hasn't been an episode in a while. Um, there actually was the most recent episode that has been posted was actually up to this point only posted uh, live streamed on the Windy City Hockey YouTube channel. However, it never ended up getting uploaded to audio podcasts. That episode was recorded back in February. Main reason? I've just kind of been lazy. I've kind of been dealing with school and other stuff, so I never got around to it, completely forgot about it. But here it is. This episode was recorded back in February. The actual date of the recording was February 12th. That was actually Super Bowl Day. You'll hear later we give our predictions for the Super Bowl in it, how wrong most of us were. But this recording is of a live stream that we did back on February 12th. If you want to skip this one, obviously. But I think that it is a really interesting time capsule to look back on and see some of our thoughts at the time of some things. This was made before any of the trade deadline moves, as well as before the information came out that Jonathan Taze was not going to be traded because of his health reasons. There's a couple other things in there as well that if you notice and you listen to them now, you'll probably find it kind of funny. So this episode is coming out on Monday, March 20th. I will have another podcast out, which is one that was recorded around two weeks ago. That episode will come out on March 22nd. That'll be Wednesday. So just hold on to your horses. Got two coming up this week as kind of an apology for how everything is missing. And that episode that comes out on Wednesday, March 22nd, is our trade deadline review. So that was after all the moves were made. All four of us were able to get together and discuss every single trade that went down. So thanks for sticking with us. Once the draft comes up and the regular season's over, and also when the Rockford playoffs start happening, and you know other things are happening, the uh, NCAA playoffs, Memorial Cup playoffs, all that stuff, a lot of things are about to come down the wire, and most of them don't involve the Blackhawks themselves. But we're going to cover a lot of stuff over the next couple of months as well, because there are things involving the Hawks, even if they don't involve the actual NHL team, that we are going to be discussing. So thanks for your patience. Sorry about all of that, but please enjoy this next episode, which was recorded live about a month and a half ago. Thank you so much for sticking with us. Now, let's roll that intro music, and let's get into this next episode of the Hockey Puckcast. Hello and welcome to this episode, a live episode of the Hockey Podcast. This is a fan of podcast by the Chicago Blackhawks, and it's a little bit of a different one today because, as I mentioned in the tweet earlier on our Twitter account, while he's not able to be here today, John is a little bit of a late cancellation. I think he should be able to be here a little bit later today, but unclear on that. But for now, it's just me and we got Nick here, so... Nick, how's it going? Doing all right. How are you doing, Tyler? Doing good. Um, we have uh, we have a lot of really uh, interesting things that we can talk about. We have three Hawks games, three Ice Hogs games, and a couple of really, really entertaining prospect games to discuss. Yeah. What's up, Brian and Ryan? How are you guys doing? And um, for everyone who's here, anyone who's going to come... Leave your questions down below in the com in the comments of the live stream, 
and we will get to any comments that we have in between segments. So after we're done talking about the Hawks, we'll answer a couple. After we're done talking about prospects, we'll answer a couple. And then most of them we'll save for when we're done at the very end when we've talked about the Ice Hogs as well. But we want to get into a couple of news points beforehand. And the first big one doesn't directly correlate to the Blackhawks, but it does pertain a very key member of the team and his future. And that is Vladimir Tarasenko getting traded from the St. Louis Blues to the New York Rangers. Yeah, the trade came out of nowhere when it happened, but it led to some interesting comments when it happened as well. Yeah, that was the weird thing. Um, See, it has been completely unclear throughout the entire year if Kane actually wants to leave. And yet, for some reason, he seemed very disappointed-ish in the fact that the Rangers didn't want to trade for him. It was a very weird conversation. Like, he was like, I would be interested in going there, but at the same time, we're still unsure if he's going to waive his no-move clause. What I'm thinking could have been the case is the Rangers basically stated that they viewed Kane's hip problem as a main concern in trading for him, and it may have led to Kane getting kind of ticked off about it because it. I feel like it's overblown at this point. I think so too, but we've seen before when it comes to certain injury problems, injuries can do a lot for when it comes to uh, changing trade markets. We saw it with Jack Michael last oh, yeah. year. I mean, sure. It looks like now the Sabres got a fantastic return, but there was a while where we were just unclear what Jack Eichel was going to be worth because, well, he had this injury situation, and the injury situation was like the primary reason why they couldn't actually come to terms about who, where they were going to go in the future, and they ended up trading him. Yeah. But in this situation, it's a little different. I remember as recently as the end of the uh, shortened 56-game season, Kane talking about playing through injury. And oh yeah, the part that frustrates me the most is that apparently it wasn't fixed then. It's almost two years later. That Those comments were May 2021. We are approaching 21 months since those comments, and it's still a problem. I think when uh, Kane took that hip injury against the Sharks a couple weeks ago, it led to teams now figuring out what the injury was because before no one knew what exactly was his nagging injury until after the uh, hip check that he took in that Sharks game before the Tampa game. Yeah. Um, and that seemed to, you know, he missed he missed the lineup for a couple of days, couple couple of games after that. That was when Lucas Reichel came back into the lineup or came came into the lineup for those three games. But it was just a very weird situation. And you know, beyond just the hip stuff, we've seen Patrick Kane's trade value crater in the last uh, nine months. Mm-hmm. And I think that the primary reason is because people are finally waking up to the fact that. Patrick Kane has been kind of just 
giving up on the season, in a sense? I don't think it's the fact he's given up on the season. I think it's the fact the team around him isn't skilled enough for his talent. I think that the problem here is that the Blackhawks have not done... This is... What I always remember is I always compare it to the Matthias Yenmark situation. And this is how I say, I refer to it as faking value in a rebuild. And what I mean by that is Matthias Yenmark is the biggest fraud in terms of trade value I've ever seen. The guy put up 10 goals, essentially, it was like half a point a game when he was with the Blackhawks. And I think he only had like 10 goals, but he played on the power play, put up a, a couple of, had a couple of hot streaks in terms of goals. And then the Vegas Golden Knights traded a second and a third round pick for him. Yeah, it, Vegas uh, was blind when it came to that trade. Yeah, and I think the big thing there is, in that situation, what happened is, it, I, that's why I say faking trade value. Teams are going to want players from rebuilding teams in exchange for assets at the trade deadline because they're trying to bulk up their rosters. So if you can make a player look better than they are, then you're golden. The problem is the Blackhawks have made Patrick Kane look way worse than he is because they have supplied him with zero play finishers to play with. In my opinion... The Blackhawks would be smart not to trade Kane at this point because the trade value isn't what they are going to want out of Kane. And I think it will be a smarter move just let Kane stay out the rest of the season, let him decide if he wants to re-sign because there's still a chance he could re-sign with the Hawks. There is. And um, maybe he just wants to play out his rest of his career in a Blackhawk uniform because he's going, if he wants, he has a legacy to fulfill and that's surpassing Stan Mikita at uh, most points in franchise history. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's a difficult situation because it's difficult to take the risk on whether or not he'd come back. Yeah. But it's also difficult considering the fact that he has a full no-move clause and if he doesn't want yep. to go anywhere then he's not going to go anywhere. He has all control he in his book. He has full control in the situation about where he goes and if he wants to go at all. Yeah. And after this season, he still has full control about whether he'll be here next season. So there's a, it's definitely a risk to not trade Patrick Kane and just hope that next year we can build a team that hopefully will make him look better than he has this season. Because I think he's so much more talented than the production he's put up this season. I feel like next year the team will be a younger team with more talent coming in. Like a Lucas Reichel will be a full-time Chicago Blackhawk. Um, and maybe we see Kevin Korchinski every now and then. Maybe they give him a nine-game tryout. See how he does in that nine-gamer. I would say that it would be very surprising if Korchinski doesn't get at minimum the nine games. It will be smart to see how he, where he is if it, if they do give him a nine gamer, because there's still other talented players in Rockford who could crack the roster next year. Yeah. I feel like looking at Cole Gutman. Yes, Gutman has really shown that he can be a good uh, mm-hmm. in the NHL, probably a bottom like a bottom two line player 
Yeah, I would like I would like to see it happen. I'd like to see him given the shot because, of course, I think that you know, there hasn't really been a ton of offense in Rockford lately from anyone. Yeah, the the offense is inept right now in it's been, Rockford. It's been a bit of a struggle, but despite that, Gutman's had a pretty good first professional season. Yes, I really like Gutman. Mm-hmm. And I think that you look at guys like Gutman, you look at, you know, not really an offensive guy, but Isaac Phillips and Alex Vlasic will probably be on the team next year, depending on how many defensemen get traded Yeah, in that situation. Um, and then there's also free agency. I mean, there's money coming off the books, and the Hawks will have room to, though well, they'll need to bring in some players, because, you know, they have like $30 million coming off the books between Athanasiu, Kane, Taze, Domi, um, other names that are on that list as well. Um, there's just plenty, there's tons of salary coming off the books that they have to replant, they have to supplant the roster in some capacity with whoever they're going to have. And let's assume that they don't trade Kane, but they are able to re-sign him. And... In that situation, potentially, you try and bring in a, a, one of a free agent who has a goal-scoring reputation, someone who can yeah. play on the power play with Kane, and then you know Kane racks up way more assists this year than last year. He's producing a lot, whether it's power play or even strength, and you can kind of creep that trade value back up to the point where maybe now he's more palatable trade asset. Obviously, the Blackhawks still probably aren't going to be a good team next year, but I don't think that... I wouldn't even say that they're going to be a team inside the top 25. Yeah. I could see the Hawks still finishing around 28th next season. It will be an improvement, but I still think the Hawks next season... It's not viewed as a season they're going to want to start contending because oh, yeah, no doubt. that's the year for the young players to get into the NHL and develop in the NHL compared to playing this year in Rockford, getting their opportunities to develop their game down there. Next year is the season to develop in the NHL for the rebuild. Oh yeah, definitely. The, the next year is the beginning of the youth movement. And then after that, regardless of who we draft, I mean, if it's Connor Bedard, then you're in the perfect situation to rescue Patrick Kane's trade value because you have a goal-scoring center who has speed and youth and pace. And in that situation, that's the kind of guy who could inflate Kane's trade value. But if you don't get Bedard, then the other op- the other options in the draft aren't going to immediately provide the goal scoring that Bedard would, so you need to find that trade value elevator elsewhere. Yeah. But, of course, there is the risk as well. And the problem with Kane's trade value currently being in the tank is the biggest issue with that whole situation. Let's be honest, there are still some players on the team that could trust maybe a, a very low first round pick if they do retain 50% on a contract like a Jake McCabe. Yes. Think about that. I believe John is here now. 
John, hi. Welcome to Hello. the uh welcome into the uh live podcast. Yep. And we are currently discussing Patrick Kane and his trade value after the Tarasenko deal. And the situations about whether you keep him or not, and if you could rescue his trade value next year. Um. So wait, you guys haven't gotten into the games yet? Not yet. No. No, we've okay. not. No, we're we're it's we're in the first fifteen minutes. Okay. Um. So Kane's trade value has obviously plummeted. Uh, with his with his play this year, I think some of that is due to his line mates. They're not the best in the world. Or best, or or a good fit either. Or yeah, or the or the best fit. Um, he doesn't have really a great shooter on his line, in my opinion. Like Anthony is a shooter, but he doesn't hit the net a lot when he does shoot. Yeah, and they, tr- and they tried that experiment of Kane playing with Anthony It did not work. And then Domi just passes it, it all the time when he should be shooting it. Um. If we're talking about last year, we could have probably gotten like three firsts for Kane. If we're being completely honest. Yeah. Because he played well last year. Um, now, the question is, is there salvaging his trade value for next year? I literally have no idea. Because he's been playing on that hip injury for multiple seasons. That, that's that been uh, rumored. And that's, that's, that's the whole thing. Obviously, there's the hip injury, but it's not like he... I wouldn't say that I honestly think he's been... Like, if you watch him play, I wouldn't say he's necessarily been... It's been like this dramatic shift from this year to last year. Right, I think yeah. it's more so just the points are down. The analytics have always been awful. Especially the last... Ever since, like, since Panarin left, the analytics have always been awful. So, that's not really different. It's just right. that now he's not producing as much because what he's doing can't translate to points because the guys that he's playing with can't really convert what he's giving them. Yeah. It, it is interesting to see what happens because we he basically said there will be word within the next... 10 days and that was now at five days ago so we'll see what happens from there because if there is word if Kane wants to leave we'll see I'm on the fence I don't think we will see Kane get traded at this point just because Kyle Davidson is a GM who will do everything in his power to get what he wants in a trade Look at the Brandon Hagel trade last year. He didn't do as well in the Debrinkit trade. Granted, we got Korchinski in that trade. So, it's interesting to see how Davidson sees it and what the Hawks are going to do because trading away the greatest player in Blackhawks history, at this point, it's fair to say Kane is the best player in team history. At minimum, he's the best player of the last 50 years. Yeah. So, at this point, it will be near, it will be hard to the fans and how they do it if they get a terrible return, if they do do trade Kane. I think fans will be livid, 
as I will be myself. If they get a good return, but we aren't going to see Kane in a jersey, it's going to be a rough time for Blackhawk fans because all we know for years, it's been Patrick Kane and Jonathan Tays and Blackhawk mm-hmm. yeah. jerseys. I think the thing that I would say, looking at Patrick Kane as well as Jonathan Tays, if the trade packages you receive for both of them are suboptimal, and you don't win the lottery. Can you really say the tank was worth it? I don't... I wouldn't say that because the fact... If you don't land Connor Bedard, it's not a lost cause in the draft. Yes, you want Connor Bedard wearing a Blackhawk jersey. But he's not the only top-end prospect coming out of this draft. You have Adam Fantelli, you have Leo Carlson, and you have uh, Michkov. They are all solid prospects. I don't think the Blackhawks really want Michkov because of the contract situation in the KHL, but if you land like a Leo Carlson or Adam Fantelli, they're set for a good prospect in the coming years. Uh, Fantelli probably plays one more season in Michigan. And then comes in after his. Uh, Where would next Carlson season. go? Would he go to Rockford? Well, see, I think Carlson what? could go straight into Rockford. Carlson could go he, to I Rockford. I think he goes straight to Rockford because it will be smart to have the hog, the Hawks, and Carlson to Rockford if they do draft him. The Blackhawks have a plan, and it's not just on Connor Bedard. No team is if you're a GM and you're just wanting Connor Bedard then you should be fired. Because a GM is not just scouting one player unless you're Stan Bowman, because that's what he apparently was doing. You are scouting every player in the draft. You're seeing what they're what they can be capable of with your organization and how they are as a person and what they're going to bring to your franchise. That's why... If you're, the Hawks may be tanking, but if they don't land Bedard, it's not a loss. I don't necessarily say I would say, I wasn't really about it being a lost cause. It was more like, was, we took a risk with Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze's trade values. I think Taze has done probably matched what I, what I, I'm, Taze done Taze has done well at it. He's capable of. I think a second and a third for him would be a, decent enough return at this point i think that that's pretty much where he is but kane's value kane's value has plummeted so much that if if you took away everything that made kane successful so that you could lose a bunch of games and then you don't get the prize of losing all those games it's hard to say that that was worth it in the end so question regarding that so do you see any any scenario where Kane is re-signed, like extended. I think so. With the recent comments he's made. I I think so. I think we I talked mean, about it, didn't we? I would we? say that the second most likely scenario after him being traded is that he re-signs. Well, like, I don't really know if he's yeah. going to... I, I don't really know if he um, walks at the end of the season. I, it would feel weird if the Hawks try to trade him... He says no, and then he leaves. Right. 
I, this is what I think happens. If Kane does not waive his no-trade clause, he has a plan to re-sign with the Blackhawks. Here's why. He basically has set home, his home in Chicago. I believe his family from Buffalo has even moved into the Chicagoland area. So I could see a point where Kane basically views Chicago as his full-time home over a place like Buffalo. Is there an opportunity if Kane gets an offer from, let's say, Buffalo's, the Buffalo Sabres and free agency and he signs with them? That's a chance. But I really think at this point, we are going to start seeing uh, talk that if Kane is not traded, he's re-signing with the Blackhawks. Because he is one of if not the greatest Blackhawk in team history, and if he wants to re-sign with your team, he's yeah, going if, to re-sign I mean, if Patrick Kane says, I would like to stay here, let him do it. Don't don't right. kick him out. Right. There's no, there's no, there's no, yeah. There's no purpose. That's jersey there's sales no to the Blackhawks. There's no, there's, there's no benefit to him, to, there's no benefit to trying to him force walk. him out. He says no. And then continue trying to force him out if there's no residual trade value coming back to you. This, it's always smart to play the right cards. And if Kane wants to stay, he wants to stay. And the Hawks just let him, his wishes be mm-hmm. and let him yeah. stay. And I don't think Kyle side. Davidson's the kind of GM to like go against someone's wishes like that. Hey, he did it with uh, Mark Andre Fleury. He basically gave what right. Fleury right. wanted, and he wasn't even here that long. Year at the no, he, he's he not going to do that with Kane. Yeah, yeah. Um, and with that, I'm going to answer one or two. We're going to answer one or two questions from the chat, and then we are going to head into the NHL game recaps. First question that we have here is from Brian, and the question is, if the Oilers put Jesse Pugliarvi on waivers, do you think the Hawks should pick him up? Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my yes. god, yes. I think that if Jesse Pugliarvi is on waivers, it's... then Ken Holland is making the biggest mistake of at least his Oilers tenure. Aren't they looking for a top six forward? I mean, he passed on just for, for Wallstead, so... Why would you waive a top six forward? Is he not the playing thing... well? Pugliarvi has not played well this year. I think there is a lot of talent there, and I also think that there's. I I honestly don't think he's as bad of a player as he gets uh, this kind of reputation for. For me, the big thing with Puliyarvi is that he does so many things on the ice that are good, but he just can't score. He gets overshadowed also because he's on a team with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Yeah. And I think. the last two years, his play style fit next to uh, next to McDavid really well. He opened up a lot of area for him to do a lot of what he was exceed beyond what he was capable of before, get even better. And the issue is the fact that Zach Hyman is even better at that. Than Jesse Pugliarvi. So he's kind of replaced that hole in the lineup. And then Evander Kane as well. And they kind of fill those holes even better. And, and Pugliarvi's kind of lost his spot. And with Pugliarvi. He could be a good project player. Because he's still young enough to. Uh, 
uh, tool around with and kind of develop his game. And he kind of fits the style of play that Luke Richardson and Kyle Davidson want. Yeah, he's very physical, and that's the kind of thing you want with Luke Richardson. Yeah, we should pick him up, obviously. If he's yeah, placed on waivers, if, right now he's actually playing in the game versus Montreal. I, I can't see him ending up on waivers, though. I can't see the Oilers valuing him that little. If uh, we could, if, I honestly think if uh, Puliarvi is available, it's going to be at the trade deadline when they're looking for like a defenseman because aren't the Oilers in the hunt for a defenseman if it sounds like yeah i mean i think they want jake mccabe but i but edmonton is on his no trade list well yeah that is true isn't and the entirety of entirety of canada on his trade list no it's everyone besides toronto it, the okay. entirety of canada besides the leafs are on his no trade list there are some other players on the Hawks that could work out if um, Edmonton is looking for a defenseman, like a Connor Murphy, because he's another defenseman that has a good contract for uh, team flexibility because the Hawks will likely retain on any contract they are able to. Yeah, they only have... Aren't they only able to retain on, like, three contracts, though? You only, you only have three retention slots, but we don't have, yeah. we're not using any at the moment. Yeah, I could see the Hawks in a case where they can retain it on a player with a longer-term contract like a McCabe, like a um, Murphy, if uh, the Oilers call, come calling. McCabe at, McCabe at like two mil times two is like a steal. Of a contract. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, for a top two defenseman. Yeah. Oh yeah, we've heard all about the um, the rumors with the, uh, with the Leafs and them wanting Jake McCabe. Um, I mean, I think that would be a fantastic fit for them. And if, they, if they're able to pull that off, then, like, depending on what we get back, I think it would be just, it would be a really good move for both teams. Using a retention slot for two years after this one is risky, but considering be good in two considering, years. considering the fact that the other two slots you're going to use them on are probably like Kane and Tate Once. then you know those three slots this year those two other slots are gone so then you'll be able to use those in in, in future years as well so i think that in the end it'll pro- if it happens i think it would be a good move for both teams the real question is just about what the value is back for the Blackhawks should be getting a first if we retain that much at least yeah, a we, first. But I honestly can see that happening because you're retaining on a defenseman who has a good contract already, and if it gets down to $2 million, you're forcing a team's hand to say, we'll pay him for $2 million for two more years. You're paying up and giving us a prospect and a good draft pick. Yeah. Because you don't retain and you aren't going... If you... If the Hawks retain and don't get that, they are out of their mind. Well, yeah, it's it's a it's a waste of an opportunity. It's a massive opportunity that could be wasted. And I think it's a similar thing to Brandon Hagel. We need to capitalize on these massively inflated trade values that are utterly ridiculous. But you know, it's right in front of us. So why not? Do we even think that Kyle Dubas will do it though? Because he's not willing to trade away top prospects 
or not top prospects, but he's not. Oh, not I think he will prospects. this time. I think I, I can see it happening because he knows his jobs on the okay, line. Okay, I've I, I've heard I've, I've heard the. I, I think that the problem is the fact that ever since Kyle Dubas got to the Leafs, people have wanted him fired from the second he got there. Well, that's Toronto for you. I think that look, they're basically on a on a crash on on a on a crash course directly to a first-round series against the Tampa Bay Lightning. If you lose in the first round against Tampa Bay Lightning, just like last year, there shouldn't be shame in that. There shouldn't be shame in no. that. The problem is the fact that I think it's no. Toronto, and, yeah. you know, you're going to have... It's the entire city's going to their like, mind again. Their, their playoff failures are starting to build up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And start, it's getting... Last last year was definitely less embarrassing than the game than the series against the Habs, but it just keeps on adding. It just keeps on adding and adding and. Let's say they won against the Habs and they lost against the, the the Lightning in the first round last like they did last year and then lost again in the first round. I think Kyle Dubas would be staying, but since they, they lost to the Habs, I think that his job is might be on the line. Yeah. Um. And uh, after all that, um, let's actually get into the games. <laughs> we actually have, yeah, we have, uh, we have three Blackhawks games to talk about this week. Uh, first game was Tuesday night against the Anaheim Ducks. And, um, well, I mean, this game was, it was really weird because obviously, look, this week, the first two games the Hawks played this week were both home games against tank rivals. And, like, you know, the game started out, what I remember mostly was just the fact that there were no whistles, like, at all. There we go. I was at the Ducks game, and yeah, it was really weird also in the UC because they were, it seemed like the pace of the game was good to start because the Hawks were off for 11 days. And the Ducks came in the night, uh, playing the night before against the Stars. The pace was a good idea to keep it flowing to get the players' skating legs underneath them because the Ducks just had their first game the night prior, and the Hawks are in, were in their yeah, first. Yeah, and I game. think the weird thing with the um with the game this week, one of the weird things that was the case here is just that um. Over the course of the three games this week, there were many times in each of those games where the Hawks looked like the best team. Which yeah. you wouldn't expect. Of course, we are playing against Anaheim and Arizona, so I'm not surprised that we played well against them. But we were dominant for many stretches of that Anaheim game. And obviously, that team's oh, yeah. not very good. But we were still dominant against them. But at the end of the first period, you know, we had um, no goals in the in the period, which kind of made sense. It just felt like the whole thing just kind of flew by and was just done before it even started. It was a really quick first yeah. period. Yeah, it, it the pace was r- really quick, and it was it was an interesting game how it yeah. just played out. Um, the one thing that I found really funny throughout that was um. One sequence involving uh, Boris Kachuk, where um, <laughs> where he picks off a puck at the blue line. Okay, so then he's in on like a partial breakaway. For 
whatever mm. reason ever <laughs> decides to take a slap shot. <laughs> but before he can even take the shot, he gets stick checked. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah he, he gets stick checked. Stick checked yeah. on, before he can even like take the shot. It was. And then seconds later, he takes a high stick on a very right. tall John Klingberg. Four minute high stick. John Klingberg. And it was a lot of. There was a lot of. Blood John Klingberg too. might suck at defense, but he is a very tall person. So to in the middle yes. of like ten seconds, get a very smart turnover, get on a partial breakaway, but then take a slap shot on that breakaway, which gets snuffed out before you can even take the shot, and then take a high stick on a very tall guy that gets a four minute double minor. What a was like a good amount of blood. There was a good oh, amount yeah, of blood. Yeah, it was it was pretty too. brutal. Um but like what a sequence. Yeah, it was interesting to see it. Uh like I since I was at the game and I saw it happen in person, I didn't see all the blood because the it was on the other side of the ice from where I was at. I just saw yeah, that's going to be a 4 minute double minor everyone around me said how can you tell i said just look of how klingberg skating off the he's ice he's going right he's, he's going right to you take can care see of <laughs> yeah it, it it's definitely going to be a four minute double minor and people were like there's no way and then what happens Wes mccauley calls a double minor for high mm-hmm. yeah and of course there was an interesting thing in that double minor penalty where the Hawks actually got two of those minutes killed off for them because McTavish took a hooking call, which was fun. Yeah, it, that was, and it helped them out beneficially just because they killed yeah. off some clock. After that, you know, we had no goals in the first period. We head into the second period, and this is where things start to really change. I thought throughout the entire opening of this game, Jason Dickinson played really, really well. And he ends Dickie up getting the first awesome. goal of the game. For the first line center Jason Dickinson. First line center Jason Dickinson. Um, it's spelled uh, D one C K I N S O N, um, because he is our one C Jason Dickinson. Who would have expected that at all at the beginning of the year? Uh, nobody. So it's eighth goal for Jason Dickinson on the season. Assist from Patrick Kane. Um, those two have oddly worked well together. It's kind of weird. They have. It's it, really weird. It's really, <laughs> it's really weird. shocking. It's really shocking how well Dickie and mm-hmm. Kane have yeah. been. I together. almost feel like the reason for that is partially because, you know, a guy like Dickinson, he'll maybe like he's a he's a defense guy first, obviously, but he's also more of a shooter than a passer when it comes to his offensive game, even though there isn't much of it. So maybe literally just being a guy who wants to shoot is enough. You don't even need to be that talented. If you, all you have to do is be a guy that wants to shoot and you and you can produce with Patrick Kane. Maybe that's all it is. A center of his time of Chicago. I know. Well, obviously not. Obviously not. I mean, I think that it's similar to Pia Suter. It's similar to Pia Suter. It's similar to yeah. Artem Anisimov in that kind of way. 
but I would I'd say that neither of those got both of those guys were better than Dickinson before and after or just like I don't think I think both those guys are like significantly better players than Jason Dickinson. Both of them have had top six time in their career. Dickinson's never been a top six player before this. Vancouver again. It's just weird. Thank you, Vancouver, for the second round pick too. That's the more important thing. Yes. Second round pick. And they get Riley Stillman's been a healthy scratch for that team multiple times. Yeah, that's um, And then he's a turnstile you know, when he yes. does play. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, and it's um, I'm not surprised at all. I think that I remember uh, I could count on both of my hands the collective amount of good games I think I remember watching from Riley Stillman. I can't recall any good game from Stillman. <laughs> I remember one. I vividly remember one. I don't remember who it was against, but I was like, this is the one game where I'm like, yeah, I mean, there could be something there, but it was another, there were no other times where I was like, Riley Stillman's really good. Other than that other than one game where I was like, he's really good. I'm just game. saying this, Dickinson's really helping his trade value. Oh, definitely. I mean, this guy was traded with a second for a fringe NHLer. And, I mean, if we retain half of his contract next year, then I think that, you know, we could get like a third for Maybe him. another second. That'd be crazy. That'd <laughs> be funny. If we got, <laughs> if we got a, it, it all depends oh, yeah. on where things go from here. It all depends on where things go from here and where things go next season because I don't think he's getting oh, yeah. traded this summer, this season. I think that this the, the time to trade Dickinson would be next season. So we'll see what happens then. But I wouldn't rule out getting positive value in a Jason Dickinson trade considering he's just played pretty okay, which is enough, I guess. Good. Uh, presence on the um on the dot. Yeah. Um. And then this was a weird one for both teams in a sense because all four even strength goals or all four goals in the regulation came in the second period of play. Both of the goals for Anaheim were from their fourth line, and both of the goals for Chicago yes. were from their first line. Now, uh, first line for it, Chicago. It's working. It, it is, um, but the f next goal for Anaheim comes from, you know, Brett Leeson, of all people. Yeah, when that happened, I was, was like, who the hell are you? I remember him on Washington last year. And, I mean, I, I, mean, I had known that he was in Anaheim, but, like, I knew he was, like, just kind of there for them. You know, another one of those tank commanders playing bottom six minutes. Weird, wasn't it? Because it was the misplay, because it was a misplay by Mrazic. He tried to shovel Mrazic it out, of, the, out of his little area. Yeah, and then he buries it. Yeah, so Mrazic um, tries to, yeah, he tries to, you know, play it out and like just, just put it behind the net or something, but it somehow ends up on the stick of an Anaheim Duck and, you know, Fourth line goal for them. It's a weird situation. But Hawks get one right back. Not all too soon after, about five minutes later, and Seth Jones just keeps on scoring. The All-Star. He went to the All-Star game, and now he's back. Again, ever since he was named an All-Star, he's played like an All-Star. Yep. 
And another nice goal for Seth Jones. Kind of thank uh, Ben Pope for that one because <laughs> Pope kind of questioned him for being an all-star. And then after that, Jones has been on a run. We did too. I mean, we <laughs> said Jake McCabe should be the all-star, which I still say that that... I still don't disagree with that viewpoint, but like Seth Jones as of late has played very well. Yeah. But he, the reason why I'm saying Ben Popa about it, he's the one who questioned him in a media. So Ben Popa asked him, so what do you think about every team having an all-star on it? And he said, Jones basically said, so you don't think I deserve to be yeah. there? Um, but it was really, it was a really nice play. Um, oh yeah, he Jones looked like an AHLer on that play. I remember that tweet. Um, but it was a really nice play from uh, from everyone involved. Primarily, once again, Jason Dickinson. I mean, yes, it was great from Jones to join the rush. It was great from Dickinson to get the pass over so that they could. It was kind. Of, it was like a two on one, but also kind of a three on one. And I just, I mean, it was just a really nice play. And, you know, Blackhawks take the lead, but they don't take the lead for long. And as we said Not earlier, this next goal was weird. I mean, when, when, when uh, a team scores multiple fourth line goals in not only the same game, but the same period, they are going to be weird. This one, again, caused by another turnover. By Seth Jones, unfortunately. This one was the Seth Jones turnover. This one was unfortunate. And I remember... Yeah, has that great goal. And then just a little bit later, not a very nice play here in terms of the turnover by Jones. Really good pressure by the um, Anaheim Ducks player to uh, to create the whole play. Um, the guy who created that whole play. That was Brett Leeson once again. <laughs> Two-point yeah. night for Brett Leeson. Two-point night for Jason Dickinson. Two-point night for Jason Megna. What is going on? I forgot Migna was on that team until I saw him get on the score sheet at the game. He was, yeah, he was traded, right? He was traded from the. Oh Sharks. no, his no, no, his brother was. Oh, his brother was. His brother Jacob was traded because Jacob's a defenseman, Jason's a forward, okay. and his brother was traded uh, from the Sharks. Okay. I couldn't tell you why can't I remember who picked him up? Was it Colorado? Colorado. I think so. And they made it. Colorado and them, they made another trade as well. Because they also got Matt, because they also traded Matt Nieto to uh, Colorado. Yeah. But um, but beyond that, that's the uh, that's the whole thing in the second period. End of the period is 2-2. All even strength goals. Both goals for the Hawks were first line, as I said before. Both goals for Anaheim were fourth line, as I said before. Um, and then we head into overtime. Our Ice Hogs. Going to overtime 2-2, guaranteeing that game one 3-2. Yes, 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 more 3-2 overtime finishes with both teams, both the Ice Hogs and the Blackhawks. Isn't that fun? And this one was the first um, impressive goal for Anaheim on the night. Yeah, this was, was a good really nice. Was, it was a really nice deke. It was a really nice, nice deke really nice by Frank Vitrano. He ends up getting the uh, the goal there. Really nice goal. Good pass Anaheim by Wontrum, too. Yeah, Anaheim ends up winning that game. Um, we get one point, but they get two, so yay, yay, ten. <laughs> yep. Um, that was another, and that was Mrazek. I And the other thing with Mrazek on that second goal that they scored, that's probably one he should have. He was hugging the post. I don't know how I got past him. 
Yeah, I don't know how I got past the Meyer, but that's probably a goal that he should have had. Both of um, them. We head oh, into man. Friday night, a couple nights later, another home game, this one against the Arizona Coyotes, another all-out tank battle, and another uh, three-pointer. In the game we should mention was also uh, Black History Month night at the Blackhawks, and they had a great uh, warm-up jersey for it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it was Black History Night with the Blackhawks. Um, they had uh, a ceremony before the game as well. Um, they sang uh, Lift Every Voice and sang, which I didn't know that song was that long, honestly. I thought it was a shorter song than that. <laughs> that was pretty long. But it was really good. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a very impressive... Uh, I, the, the, the group that was singing it was a really, really good choir. Um, yeah. But that was... Really, the the warm up jerseys for uh for Black History Night were really cool. Designed by cool. a nineteen artist, year old. Yeah. yeah, the artist got to meet the team and talk to them, and it was a really whole. It was a really nice situation, really whole, um, really wholesome event, really well done by the Blackhawks. Really, they're doing. There, it's a very important thing that the Blackhawks um put more effort into positive community efforts yeah especially because hockey is seen so much as like just for white people so i think that it's it's good for people in you know people in black communities to have pot to get interested in hockey because you know some of the i mean one of the best players on the team is is black and that's something that should be promoted going forward because it's a massive city with tons of people of ethnic minorities. Yeah. And it's kind of fitting what happens later on in the game. <laughs> oh, this was, um, you know, there's times where like things just make the sense. Hockey gods. Yeah. The hockey gods were working down on this game. It's and on black history night to have both Jones brothers and Athanasiu score goals. Yep. Just, I mean, it's fate, I guess. The two, it's book-ended for the Hawks in the scoring. Steph gets the first goal, Caleb gets a game-winning goal. Yeah, it was, um, and beyond just, you know, the aspects of the celebration of the night, it was, they were also very good plays as well. I mean, Seth gets his second goal in as many games. Yep. Goal by Seth. It was a nice one. Two games in a row, two goals. Um, of course, the thing is, though, that was actually to cut a deficit to one because very... 30 seconds into the play of the game. Yeah. I was um, a minute 30 in when Arizona scored their first goal, uh, Clayton Keller, and then took a while later, but about 12 minutes in, then Nick Schmaltz scores for them. By the end of the first period, the score was 2-1 because Seth Jones was able to cut the lead and get it back, get us back into that game. Uh, Kachuk again. He got on a breakaway, and he, and while he was denied, he got the pass to Seth Jones, and then Seth Jones scored. So, two games in a row where, yeah. where Kachuk gets on a breakaway and makes pl- or he didn't make a play on the first breakaway, but he made a play on this one. There were a yeah. lot of breakaways by the Blackhawks in this game. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that maybe the one thing that we should kind of mention, 
This might have been the last game of Jacob Chikrin's Arizona Coyotes. That's career. entirely possible. It, yeah. Is there more talk that he's getting traded soon? Well, he was scratched last night for what the team listed as trade related okay. reasons on their press on their press uh on their PR. I did uh, not know that. Twitter account? Well, the, he was scratched from last night's game and on the Twitter on the tweet that said that he was scratched, the Arizona Coyotes PR account said trade related reasons on the actual tweet. Interesting. There's no there's no official trade yet, but going to LA. I think Isn't he's, it gone. he's going to LA. There's rumors he's going to LA. There's things that it's unclear what's going to happen in terms of what actually happens in in where Chickren could go. LA would be one that makes sense obviously as well. But um you know, this could have been the last game for Jacob Chicker in the Arizona Coyotes. And he got angry a few times in this game. Yeah, I mean, when you... Uh, he didn't have the best season last year, but this year he's really been, like, one of the only reasons why that team has any competency. Yeah. I mean, he is, a, he is a, like, a plus six on this team. There's, you're about to have pluses on the Arizona Coyotes as a player? Jake McCabe has pluses right now. Um, I can I can confirm. I know Jake McCabe is a plus, right but Arizona's like bad. They're not. They're they're just as bad as us. I mean, a little bit better than us, actually. Jake McCabe is a plus four this season. Yeah, Jake McCabe's a plus four this season. Jacob plus Chicker's eight, a plus eight. Jesus. Okay, that's insane. On the plus Arizona Coyotes. That's amazing. That's. That that's that is a that is commendable. It's yeah. very impressive. It's very Hard impressive. He's one of three players on that team with a plus. The others are Nick Bugstad and Michael Carcone, who played th- nine games. <laughs> yeah, Bugstad had some. Uh, he had uh, an impact in the game later, but before that, Blackhawks tie the game. And then later take the lead. This goal by Athanasiu tied the game, was, though. I liked it. Was it. A very, very... It was a really nice goal. I think that it showed um, real uh, initiative to, like, you know, crash the net, get the backhand shot across. I think it was a really nice play. Yeah. It was a good play by uh, Athanasiu. And then he almost, he almost scores again. Mm-hmm. Later on. Yeah. He does almost score again. And this one, um, <laughs> the, the way this goal, the way this uh, puck got into the, in that it was, was kind of weird. However, it was a really, really nice power move by Athanasiu to, you know, crash the net, use his skill, the skill we know that he has. Yeah. We know he's got this, we know he has all this talent. We know he's capable of great things. But there's only so many times that you actually see it happen. And this was one of those moments and then Blackwell, you know, it's like stuck on the line, stuck between, stuck between like his stick, and his the, the post. Stuck between, stuck between the, stuck between the goalie's skate and the post, and you know, uh, Blackwell's able to put it in. And Blackwell's played yes. rather well recently, and it's the same thing that I said before. Put him with speed, and he'll be competent. Yeah. We should mention the Hawks did have a goal that could have that kind of got waved off. Also, 
in the second period after the after the CU goal. Oh yeah, that was the goalie interference. Uh, yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah, there was that. Um, there was that uh, goalie interference situation. But you know, Blackhawks have the lead now in the third period, and it's late into the third period, and it's like, are we going to win this game in regulation? Turns out that's not going to be the case. Um, I think one of the things that I find a little bit weird is that up to this point, I haven't talked about any goals at all from either game that are other than even strength. Yeah. This one from Nick, this one from Nick Bustad, another one just as well. So good play for them and they're able to tie the game. And we go to overtime. We do. This one, uh... Now, this play, uh, was pretty odd in terms of, you know, just the space that Caleb had in the end. So we'll start here. Blackhawks get out on a breakaway. Because, you know, that's what happens in overtime. You get breakaways in overtime. Athanasius on that breakaway. Could go in for his second goal of the game, third point of the game... And it would be his third point of the game coming off of his own shot. Yeah. He gets the shot. It's saved. There's a defenseman chasing him. But that defenseman, for some reason, curls off and as if, like, the game is over. Doesn't acknowledge the fact that there's another guy trailing behind him. Puck goes to Caleb Jones, who is at the half wall, and... Before anyone else can catch him, just makes a beeline straight to the goal, shoots at five hole, and it's in, and they win. Yep. Way though, it was like a good save, and then he, and then uh, what's his name? Valachek. I don't know. You know the Vimelka. V- Vimelka. No, 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 no. Connor Ingram started tonight. Oh, okay. So, so uh, Ingram. It was Ingram who played. He probably game. wants that one. The point I'm trying to make is he probably wants that goal back. It was kind of. Yeah, but he wasn't given any yeah. support at all yeah. as well. That's the other yeah. thing. He wasn't given Ingram was support. hung out to dry. He was. And then the, and then Nick Schmaltz, the back check on Nick Schmaltz was not too good. No. He was kind of just um, last of days ago. Kind of, tr- kind of tried at the very end, but I think that if he had a little bit more effort previously, he yeah. then there would have been something there. He, he, he might have saved the game. Yeah. And with that, the Hawks win a game. They got three points out of their first four, and, um, you know, despite all the fears of everyone, we are still in second to last. <laughs> it's not changing anything. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Uh, Stauber, uh, the first goalie in Hawks history to win his first three games. That's really shocking, because we've had, like, greats like Tony Esposito, um... The Eagle. And on this team. Yeah. On this, on this team. team. Guys, like, rookie goalies that this team has had. You know, we had Corey Crawford. We had Antti Ranta as well, who was fantastic or, when he started yeah, for us. Yeah, he was good. Uh, Darling was fantastic at the very beginning of his Hawks tenure. Um, other goalies have been fantastic since when they first got here. Is that is that first three games of his career as a Hawk, or just first three yeah. games as a Hawk? Yes, first three, games first as a Hawk. three career starts as a Chicago Blackhawk mm-hmm. rookie goalie, getting their mm-hmm. first three starts, getting the first three wins, is 
a Blackhawk franchise record. Yeah, and that's crazy. I mean, maybe he's got that Rockford Hall of Fame. We have tons of Hall of Fame goalies. Glenn Hall. We also had Antonio. Tony Esposito. Ed Belfort was great for many years. We had Dominic Hasek first. I know he wasn't good before he got to Buffalo, but you know we still had him. Right. So he's another he's another rookie goalie in Hawks history. We had Crawford. We had Scott Darling. Scott Darling and Ranta were we had a great start. We've had all these rookie. goalies and yeah. Stobbers. The first one. Delia was Delia was Anthony pretty good. Anthony at one point. Delia was pretty good. Delia was his good. As yep. Well. Um, maybe he's got the Rockford strength. I don't know. Yeah, Anthony Anthony Emmy literally won a cup, and he's like the eighth person that we mentioned. Yeah. And with that, we head the next night, which was last night, into the game against the Winnipeg Jets. Now, this game, I would say that there were moments in this game where the Blackhawks actually outplayed the Jets, especially at the very end of the game. But it didn't really result in many goals. The team kind of, you know, they'd already, they'd already lost the game in the second period. You know, the Jets turned on the afterburners in the second period. Jets turned off the on the afterburners. They didn't really care the third period, but it didn't. But Hellebuck was just too good. We shouldn't mention Jared Tenorti made his return to the lineup. Yes, he did, and he fought so, he, from breaking his jaw. He, he literally fought someone too after breaking. Yes, his... <laughs> he was testing that jaw strength. I guess I don't understand because... why. Like I. Oh my god, this guy, will he be able to physically talk by the end of this season? Okay, so I didn't watch this no, game, but did he no, have, like, he the little, like, the jaw thing? No. Nope. He didn't? Okay, Jesus. Nope. He went... No, he didn't. Just, he just went full visor, and that was it. No yeah. ball, uh, no fishbowl. He, he, had, he had played with a fishbowl previously. Yes. He's not like... And then he broke his jaw with the fishbowl. He didn't give himself, like, permanent, like, mouth damage. It's not be fun. It's such a it's a weird. I I don't know. I mean, for the for his own health, I'm not quite sure what he was thinking. I still would have paired Tenorti back up with Connor Murphy and put uh Jack Johnson on the bottom D pair because yes, they did not do wait, wait, it. Wait, wait, they wait, kept Jack Johnson I, with Jack Johnson was on the second pair last night. Jack Johnson. I don't understand why that was the case. That's weird. Tenorti with Murphy worked at when they were together before he got injured. They did enough. They yeah. did enough, which was all they really needed. Um, but then we head into the uh, beginning of this game. No goals at the end of the first period. Hawks were pretty much just surviving at that point. Um, they weren't doing all too much, but they actually outshot the, uh, the Jets in the first period. I wouldn't say they played all too well, though. Though I will have to say that they yeah. had the opportunities in the first like five or so minutes of play, the Hawks were actually the better team out of the gate. Yeah, and funny enough, those were the five minutes I didn't watch because I was finishing watching the Michigan game. <laughs> oh yeah, I did not get to watch that because I didn't know what channel it was on. <laughs> <laughs> that was weird. It was a weird situation. Plus, I was I just finished playing hockey. Right before the Hawks game. So well, I watched that. I watched that entire game. We'll be able to talk about that a little bit later. But um, you know, they did outshoot them, and you know the Hawks outshoot outshot the Jets the entire night, which is a weird thing considering the fact that you know 
they've lost pretty handedly by the scoreline. Yeah, well, Mrazek missed a few shots that he should have made mm-hmm. a save on. Oh, definitely. Um, I mean, the first goal by Josh Morrissey. Josh Morrissey is built different this season. Is he going to be the Norse winner this year? I think that it just says something about the fact I can even you can say those words and not be laughed at. I mean, it's a fair statement. Norris, Josh Norrissey is not a thing that was ever thought of or contemplated a month ago or four months ago, five months ago, just before this season. But there's something different about Josh Josh Morrissey this year, and this was a fantastic backhand shot. Bonus has gotten Morrissey out of his <laughs> and started playing. Rick Bonus doing good coaching things. What a world. Yeah. I mean, I guess what we're seeing now is just what the what the Jets really are capable of. Yeah. And it's way more than what they were capable of previously. Um, I can't really say that in the situation of, like, Mrazek, <clears throat> it's hard to ever fault a goalie for struggling to handle a backhand. Yeah, I know. Because, like... You don't know sure, where that puck's going. You'd want... Backhands are so tricky. But at the same time, you know, you can't just put the puck on the back of your stick and say, it's a goal. Yeah. So, like, you still want them to... You still want them to, like... You still want more, but, you know, I can understand why it's difficult to deal with a backhand. Next goal was by... um was was by Blake Wheeler uh, about midway through that uh, second period. Period, and this was the first goal the entire week that is, you know, not even strength. Power play goal for them. Really nice shot by Kyle Connor on the one timer. Another pass from Morrissey to that one time shot by Kyle Connor, and Blake Wheeler gets a deflection out in front, and it's two nothing for the Jets. Yep. And you know, once you've got a two nothing lead with Hellebuck behind you, it's hard to see a world to come back, especially with the. Uh, the, you know, the shooting talent or lack thereof that we have on this yeah. roster. I was honestly thinking the Hawks were going to get shut out in this game. Well, I did too. I definitely did too. It was hard to really even pay attention to what was going on the entire game just because, like, the Jets just... Are so much better than the Hawks. They're so much better than the Hawks. It's hard to have any level of hope of not just, uh, you know, success, but more so excitement. When you have Hellebuck behind you and, like, you're never going to score on him. This was the last game of the season series with the Jets, wasn't it? I saw something like that. I believe so. I thought I I saw something about that. I mean, we played them, I know we played them a couple times before. I remember one time, it was around Thanksgiving, we lost, like, 7-2 Yeah, Yeah, and then we lost 4-0 at one point. It was that Sunday night at home. We lost seven to three to the Jets, and then there was a game where we lost for nothing with the night where Arvid Soderblom got pulled out in the after the second period, and Dylan Wells made his. Oh yeah, that was the that was the um that was Arvid Soderblom's hurt game. There might be one more game if I'm. Maybe I'm not. I'm not quite. I'm not all too sure. Yeah, that's that's it. Moving. We're done with the Jets. Yeah. 
I mean, maybe maybe we only played maybe we only played three games against them. That's this we're we're done against the Jets. Okay, sure. Okay, I'm glad we don't have to lose to them again this year. Yeah, I guess so. Um, then moving on uh, to finish out the second period, Mark Shifley ends up scoring. 32nd goal of the season for that guy. I didn't realize Mark Shifley was on, had 30 goals already. Yeah. He's going off. It, kind of, that's that's going ridiculous. Off. Yeah. Um, very, very good season for him. Playing very well. Really good shot as well. And, you know, at that point, it's like, okay, the Hawks are down three goals. Like, we could try. We do play well in the third period. Like, we do play well. I, I, I saw some Jets fans. I saw plenty of Jets fans saying that they were not happy with how their team played in the third period and at, towards, like, the second half of the game in general. We need to mention this power play that the Jets had that led to the power play goal for Blake Wheeler. Uh, Sam Lafferty should not have gotten a uh, four-minute double minor. Do you guys agree? I'm not, I don't, I don't quite remember the situation that led up to Lafferty it. was shooting the puck, and, and he gets called for a four-minute double minor for hitting um, Nate Schmidt's face with his stick, for high-sticking. And it was a follow-through or something? Yep, and the Revs... Called it a four-minute double minor. They then looked at a review and still determined it. Everyone, I watched the Hockey Night in Canada broadcast. Uh, Friedman was saying it should have been no penalty. Everyone on that panel was saying no penalty. Even then, the Hawks broadcast should were saying should not be a penalty. The Revs were terrible for that call. That's that's not that's that's not the situation. That's not how, especially if you go back and review it. Like, you review the high stick. Like, you gotta see that it's a shot. Yeah, that's a, that's not that's, that shouldn't be the case. It shouldn't happen. It was a shot that led to a high sticking double minor. Mm, yeah, and then they ended up capitalizing on said double minor. It was a yep. pretty. I mean, it was it was a good it was a good goal for them, but you know. It still probably shouldn't have happened in the first place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Heading into the third period, um, you know, Tenorti got into a fight. <laughs> yeah, Tenorti got into a fight. Um, and it's and not all the too, Hawks. Not not all too soon after the Hawks do end up getting a goal. Another point this week for Jason Dickinson, but this goal ends up coming from Tyler Johnson. Yes. Really nice goal for Johnson because. Mm-hmm. He's on his belly and gets the rebound poked in through a hellebuck, and that's how the Hawks need to score goals if they want to score this year. Get to the crease and get them mm-hmm. off the greasy rebounds, and you're going to get on the board. Yeah, it was. Um, that's one of those plays that you might you know you might end up seeing on a highlight reel because that's a really difficult play to make. It's you know, uh, vintage Ovechkin. <laughs> yeah, it's good for Johnson to get a goal because he's 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 he plays well when he plays. He's just Always injured. And TJ pulled the heartbreaker, Sally. That's cool. That's Wait. cool. He he actually did that, the heartbreaker on that goal celebration. Well, I mean, when you're down three to one. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. Like, you're, 
there, there should be a strict rule that you only pull a heartbreaker if you score in overtime. Oh, yeah. I think he did it because he hasn't scored in a while. And the fact that he was on his stomach and got it in, I think he was just too hyped up after it. Yeah. Um, but with that, you know, the Hawks can't really get anything else going in terms of, you know, getting it past Hellebuck. Um, late into the third period, uh, Blake Wheeler gets his second goal of the game. This one, an empty netter. And the Hawks lose. It's their second loss of the week. The first one in regulation. Hawks get three points out of six available in the three games this week. And if you're looking in terms of a tanking perspective, the Hawks are currently 37 points in 51 games. Now, they're five points back of the Arizona Coyotes, and they're three points back of the Anaheim Ducks, but they've played two less games. They've also played two less games than the Columbus Blue Jackets, and in those games, the Jackets have one less point. So, and also the San Jose Sharks are collapsing down below. They're at 43 points. Montreal and Vancouver are on 46. It's Montreal's going to win today. They have well, a okay. 6-2 lead over Edmonton as of right now. Okay, so stick Montreal on 48 points. You still say that, you know, there's more competition than just the four teams that we have on this race to the bottom. And I still think that in the end, I don't know if we'll see anyone other than, like, Anaheim, Chicago, or Columbus with those top odds. Yeah. But and now insert St. Louis into the tank offs because they're clearly mm-hmm. going to get ready for the yeah. tank. And I would I would say on this whole factor, I think that if beforehand you were like this would be like the time where okay, now it's acceptable to cheer against the team. Now we're reaching the point where we have like 30 games left in the season. We're in crunch time now from a tanking perspective. If you weren't cheering against the team before, but you're pro-tank, maybe now you can start doing it. If you still don't want to, you still don't have to. But this is the time where it starts to become more acceptable. I don't against the Hawks ever because I don't do that. And the thing is, I can still... I will say, I'll say, if I get pissed off at a game because there could be times that happens mm-hmm. because oh, certainly if I knew game came into this season knowing it's already a lost season I'm just at the point where if we're playing good hockey I'm happy with it if we lose okay if we win that's uh, that's surprising and it's a pleasant surprise Definitely. So I would be okay with the Hawks getting the win every now and then. Just not full on go for a win each night. Just play it. Play a good game each night. Show you can play competitive and play smart. Ideally, in a tanking perspective, you would lose every game like four three in regulation, five four in regulation. Yeah, you want you want to see progress, you want to see improvement in the roster, but with the results not going right. your way. And that is it in terms of the NHL section. We're going to get into a question very soon, but before that, I want to head over to our NHL Players of the Week. And 
Nick, who have you got for player of the week? Number four, Steph Jones. Steph Just Jones? Like two goals, and the way he played this week, he played pretty solid for the Hawks, and I would give it to Jonesy. All right. John, who have you got? It's a stobber. He, he got two wins. Oh, one he win. Got one All right, win. he got one win, but one that win. win was pretty big. So uh, I'll give it to Stauber. Yeah, Stauber. And then I just want to um, confirm the statistics on this one. But um, for me, my pick has to be Jason Dickinson. I mean, yeah, I could. I've, Jason I've... Dickinson has did very well this week. He had a three point week, um, one goal, two assists. Um, he's done significantly better playing with Patrick Kane than he has had any right to do. Yeah. I wouldn't say he's been good. I would just say he's been way better than expected. Mm-hmm. And that, for me, is enough to say that he is warranting of player of the week. And then, as well, you know, there was an important loss this week, as well, in terms of the tank perspective. Who have we got for Tank Commander of the Week, Nick? Uh, give it to John first. I want to hear what his thoughts is. John? Uh, Mrazic. He was not very good in that Ducks game. <laughs> yeah. You know, that was, that was my thought as well. I was yeah. thinking Mrazic because, you know, over the course, when you have three games in a week, like this one, and, you know, you win one game with your backup goalie and the other two games you lose. I wouldn't say that if you're, if you're talking from a tanking perspective, I would say this was actually a very unproductive week. Yeah. But in one guy who did try to get the tank on the roll, try to get the tank going on, on, I'd say was probably Mrazic. Yeah. I would probably agree with all Mm -hmm. of what both of you say. Mrazic, the true tank commander of the week. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, and now we're going to head into one quick question that we have. And then after that, we're going to take, um, we're after the question, then we are going to head into our prospect and Rockford recaps. We have two Rockford games to discuss, but also some very important prospect information to discuss. And then we are going to head on out of here. So this question is from Daniel. The question is, if things don't go according to plan of tanking and Chicago lands, like, picks three through five in the lottery, what is the plan moving forward? So, yeah. Talked about a little bit, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Landing three wouldn't yeah. be the worst in the world. Worst in the world, you still get Leo Carlson, or that's the projected pick at three, at least. Um, and he's good, by all counts. Um, I don't know really anyone. I don't know how good Mitchkoff is, because... He's kind of Mitchkov kind of is a good prospect. He can score. Mitchkov has over the last month. Mitchkov has played significantly better. But then there's the whole thing with like the KHL like, too. There's a there's a lot of yeah. There is a lot of stuff with the contract. But over the last month, Mitchkov has really turned it around. Especially since he got promoted up to the KHL. He's not. He's playing on a very bad HK Sochi team. But he is producing well with them for the time being. I expect to be back at SKA soon. Within, like, probably next year, I think he'll be back at SKA St. Petersburg. Because, you know, Sochi is a weird kind of situation when it comes to, you know, the roster in terms of, you know, the KHL. It's a weird thing that they even let HK Sochi do what they do. Because they are essentially SKA St. Petersburg 2, but they play in the same league. 
basically SKA's uh, farm team at this Pretty point. Pretty much. They just, they just whoever they want from that roster who's playing well, they take them. And then whoever they want to send down to that team, they put them there. It's a really weird dynamic that's... Sochi is basically the rock for Ice Hogs to the Chicago Blackhawks for the SKA St. Peter. But they're playing in the same league. Yes, <laughs> but they play in the same league. I'm just mm-hmm, trying yeah. to say that's what they try to do there. Yeah, it's a crazy, it's, it's a whole weird situation but, with them. Yeah, I would say this to answer the question from Daniel is the Blackhawks, if... As I said earlier in this um, podcast, the Hawks will be stupid if they're only trying to go after uh, Connor Bedard or Adam Fantelli. If they are doing that, that's on Kyle Davidson as a failure for GMing. And you're looking at other prospects down the line, like a Mitchkoff, like a Carlson. You're looking at players like that. You're looking at players below them. Maybe they can jump up over Leo Carlson or Mitch Koff. They have plans in place for if they don't land first or second overall in this year's draft. Fifth guy projected right now. Okay. Zach Benson. Yeah. Zach Benson. He plays for the. He plays for the. He plays for the Winnipeg Ice. He's playing with guys like Matthew Savoy and Carson Lambos. Is he? And that's a really. They they're a really good team in the WHL. Is he projected to be anything? Oh, they also amazing. They also have Connor Geeky on that team as well. Zach Benson is really good. Like I would say that last year, or how about this? Zach Benson would probably go like. First or second in twenty twenty one. I think he's I think he's on par with like a Benitez. Okay. And honestly. then to that the, 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 just the draft. It there's a bit of a drop off after him. There's a bit of a drop off after him, but and there is obviously a significant gap between Mitchkov, then Benson, then I think after every after him there is a gap after that. But I think he and then to continue well. answering and this draft is yeah, still deep. Is. You're going to get a good prospect. To continue no answering what. Daniel's question, um, we're going to be bad next year too. Like, <laughs> yeah. we're going to be in the running for first if if we don't get it this year. So, um, it wouldn't it wouldn't be the worst. Yeah, I would say it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to get three to five. <laughs> um, who's the defenseman's just, name that's coming yeah. out next year? It's uh, Kiviharu or something like that. Yeah, Kiviharu. Yeah, Aaron. He's good. Um, I think that he'll be very impressive. Uh, we'll see more about him going forward and see how well he, you know, performs when he gets up to the top levels soon. Um, the one thing I would say as well when it comes to this whole situation is that the Blackhawks are in a completely fine situation regardless of who they draft because we already have plenty of assets and that's gonna, that number is going to keep on coming up. Last year, in the first three rounds, we had a total of eight draft picks. In the first three rounds, in each of the next two years, we have six draft picks. Two firsts, seconds, and thirds in each of this year and next year. And we'll likely have more. Yeah, that's going to go up. And there will be Not all those guys are going to become anything. Obviously, that's the case. Obviously, when you when that's the case, you're not going to get every one of those players to your, become something. You get more chances However, at the swap machine. It's a, a fantastic number of dart yeah. throws. In the early rounds of the draft, the Blackhawks have been able to accumulate so far. In those three years, so far, that is um, 20, I think. 20 
first three round picks in three years already before a Kane or a Taze or a McCabe or a Domi trade. Before any of those guys get moved, or Murphy, or whoever else could get moved in that time, we've already got 20 draft picks from last year to this year to next year in the first three rounds. Yeah. It's truly remarkable how much, how many, yeah, it's how good many assets where we have. It's great what we've got, and it's good where we're going. So I think that, yeah, you want Connor Bedard. But the whole entire rebuild does not depend on the existence of Connor Bedard. And it shouldn't because we've done more than just rely on the existence of Connor Bedard coming to this franchise. Let's be honest. We've we've done plenty more good for the future of the franchise than just, say, Connor Bedard or Vox. If it was Stan Bowman as GM... He would still not even draft Connor Bedard if we were in the first overall pick. I, 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 I mean, Shirelli drafted Shirelli drafted McDavid. I think that that's. I mean, I, I, would, I, he, would, I, I would we would even be, be in this position if Sam Bowman was still here? Uh, no, we, we wouldn't be in this position. Oh, no. if Sam Bowman was, Sam Bowman was still here, mid. we would not. We would still be. We would still yeah, be exactly. pretending we could be okay. Yeah. I also think. I, mean, I also think that if Sam Bowman was still here, that would imply that the whole. Um, Kyle Beach stuff never was was unearthed, or like hypothetically, it never happened either. Of course, that's hypothetical, right. obviously. But in that situation, I think he doesn't make those drastic measures that he did in that off season. Because there were some dra- there were some drastic measures that he made that off season to try and like win now that probably wouldn't have been made if he didn't think that his job on was the line. Screwed. Because think about it, he made those trades. Basically, to just try and save his, um, save his job, or screw over the next guy because the Blackhawks are back. He wanted to either do this by trading for Steph Jones and give up all the assets they did to say we got our defenseman. This is to save my job, or basically screw over the next guy. And he basically did it to, as the latter, to try and screw over Kyle Davidson. But it really mm-hmm. hasn't worked yeah. out, really, for Bullman's thought process, I feel like. Yeah. And then over the next week, the Blackhawks play four games. Um, I'll count the game that they have on Sunday as well, because I don't think that we'll be able to have a live um, a live podcast uh on that t- by, by that time. So we play against Montreal on Tuesday. The next night, it's Toronto on Wednesday. Then Ottawa on Friday. All those are road games. And then we play Toronto at home on Sunday night. So, Nick, what do you got for those games? Uh, losses in all f- games. <laughs> losses in all the Maybe games? we'll beat Ottawa because Ottawa is one of those teams that doesn't play that well. And the fact that we don't have our goalie who we don't have a goalie that is actually good in Montreal because we used to have that stat where Corey Crawford basically owned Montreal and same with Marc Andre Fleury last year. We don't have a goalie who's actually good in Montreal now. Peter Mrazek history in playing against Montreal is not good. Peter Mrazek against Toronto. Not good. 
I wonder what they do for those games. I would say you start Stauber versus Montreal. Yeah. I would... Eh, it might be a smart move to go with Stauber. Mm-hmm. I think you start Stauber versus Montreal because the one thing that I know about being a secondary Leafs fan is that they love pain and revenge tours. And I think that Mrazek getting a shutout in Toronto would be the funniest thing in the entire season. That would be funny. That would be funny, yeah. So, you've got four losses, though? I think four losses is coming. Zero of eight points? Yep. <laughs> All right, there you go. Um, uh, John? I'm kind of on the same along the, line, the, along the lines of Nick. Maybe we win against either uh, the Canadians or the the Senators, but those Toronto losses are not going to be uh, fun. We might I'm predicting a hat-trick by Debrinket, though. Yeah, that might happen. Mm, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, so I think that this could be, like, the purest of revenge weeks. So I think that we lose against Montreal, and it'll probably be, like, 4-2, and I think that Kirby Doc will do nothing all game, but he'll get the empty netter. So, that'll happen. He'll do Kirby Doc all game, but he'll get the empty netter. Um, with Toronto, I think we're going to beat the Leafs on this game, this second game. I really do. I think that the, pa- the, te- the Leafs are awful against bad teams. They have been bad against bad teams recently. In the last two years, they've lost all four games against the Coyotes. But they haven't beat the Coyotes in over 20 years. What? Wait, are you serious? <laughs> No. no, I'm pretty yeah, sure it's something right. like that. You... Maybe, maybe, maybe it was maybe it was like in Arizona or something. But like, I'm pretty sure it's the opposite. Whatever it was, but regardless, they haven't been good against bad teams recently. When Ottawa was at their worst a couple years ago, they still beat the Leafs. Montreal can beat the Leafs. Columbus beat the Leafs last night. I think we're winning this game, and if Mrazek is starting, I think he's going to give up, like, max two goals. And I say that the final score is going to be 5-2. to two. Game against Ottawa, this is the one where I think it'll be the route. I think this would be the route. This one's going to end, like, 5-1. I think McDavid gets... Or, not McDavid. Dabrinkit. <laughs> Why did I say McDavid? Um, I think that Dabrinkit gets probably, like, two goals and an assist in this I'm game. I'm saying a hat trick. I think it's going to... I think he's gonna he's gonna do something spectacular this game, and then the game against Toronto at home. This is where I think we get destroyed. This one's gonna be like this is another game where I think we're gonna lose bad, probably like four one. Um, Samsonov just crushes us, and we can't do anything productive in terms of scoring goals. That's gonna be it for the NHL section though of this podcast. Um, we're gonna head now into the prospect section. Because question, we have though. a quick question. So, do you, do you think the Maple Leafs like the Dallas Cowboys, the NHL, because of their fan base? Um, okay, I have a hot take that the that that the Toronto Maple Leafs are the most overrated, annoying fan base. I think the I think the Oilers are more annoying. I think the Islanders and Rangers are bad. I don't. 
see the annoyance Asheville. in the Islanders. I do see the annoyance in the Rangers. Rangers Rangers fans have been annoying as of late. Yeah. I don't um, see a problem with, with Nashville fans other than the fact that I don't like their team, but I don't think their fans their have been Their fans that can be toxic. No. When you chant, you're, you suck. Well, any fan. Yeah. Okay, no. In the arena, their fan base is toxic. I'm talking more about, okay. like, on Twitter as well. <laughs> Toronto's um, still up there. In the arena... In the in the arena, Nashville might have the worst yeah. fans. I will say this. I think Toronto the I think the Toronto media, media is what's bad. The Toronto media is bad. Like, I don't think the Toronto, Toronto fan media still thinks they're the greatest team in hockey when they haven't won anything since '67. Um, mm-hmm. but I also think that the fact that it is yeah. Toronto just gives them a lot more. Like, there's a lot more hate that they receive just because they are Toronto. Like, all these other Canadian teams, none of them have been good in a while either. The Florida Panthers, until last year, hadn't won a playoff series since they reached the final in 96. They hadn't won a playoff series in a long time either. Also, we missed a question. They performed worse against the uh, Lightning last year. Way worse than, than the Leafs did. And because, you know, no one cares about Florida, everyone just laughs at the Leafs. Uh, we missed a question by uh, Brian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, the question is about Colby Barlow. I wouldn't draft Colby Barlow before seven. And I don't think we're going to have a pick as low as seven. So I think that I wouldn't really think about Colby Barlow being an option for the Hawks. Because I think that the lowest we could pick at all is like five. I don't think we're going to pick below five. Get to that. I think Col- Cole Barlow is like s- anywhere between like six and eight or so. Okay. He's a good player. He is talented. But I don't know if he's the kind of guy that we view as someone who could be an option for us with our own first round pick. Maybe a different first round pick, but... You know, we're just worse than that. We're just worse than acquiring Colby Barlow in the draft. Okay, I just saw Flyers mentioned as the worst fan base. Flyers, Flyers fans. Philly yes, fans in general. I, I'm I don't see that. Flyers fans are bad. Okay, Flyers. But of course, that entire city is toxic yeah. in terms of sports. I don't know if there is a I don't know if there's any part of that city that has positive connotations with our sports fan base. Maybe the Sixers. <laughs> but even then. They always have that toxic toxicity when it comes to their fan base. They've always been known for that throughout sports. Broad Street Bullies. So it's interesting. I tend to not get involved on the side of what team has the worst fans because every team has the worst fans in the Hawks. I would admit, there's some bad yeah, Hawks fans. fans. Some yes. bad Hawks Twitter accounts. Yeah, but that is going to be everything for our NHL section. Um, we're going to do a quick little talk about our, um, our Rock... Or, Rockford will come uh, in a little bit, but I want to get into some prospect news first because if you didn't know, Frank Nazer is back. 
officially confirmed. Last name pronunciation is Nazar. So it, the first syllable is is we've I've always heard like Nazar or Nazar. It's kind of weird because like it's one syllable pronounced one way and then the other syllable pronounced the other way. It's Nazar. So that can confirm that's how it is because I had heard some problems previously about like someone talking about like oh it's Nazar oh it's Nazar no it's Nazar so Frank Nazar the third was back this weekend for and he put up um, a nice University goal. of Michigan playing against Michigan State it was a really nice goal um I watched this entire game I watched both games I watched the entirety of both games um I was really really impressed by what i saw especially for a guy coming back from uh from from a you know a major hip injury um i believe it was hip injury yeah i think it was a hip injury um the things that i noticed the most he's seen as more of an offensive skill guy but he's not afraid to to hit people he's not like gonna shy away from that it's not like the kind of thing where he's just gonna not do that and he is willing to forecheck I did notice some times where in the defensive zone he was kind of disengaged at moments where he wasn't really paying attention, um, playing not as aggressive in those moments as you would hope. But I think those are things that will come in due time. When he's on, he's locked in, and I really do like that. Um, in terms of the skill and the skating, it's obviously fantastic. Um, in the first game, he was trying to skate through a couple too many guys, which I guess I would just say as he's making the jump from the USHL to the NCAA, and that's a pretty sizable jump that, you know, it takes a bit of time to get used to, oh, I'm playing mm -hmm. against better players. And then along with that, it was a really fantastic goal. Um, you know... The, the play ended up coming out to him. He ended up getting the uh, the puck out on a two on one on the near the right uh, near the right uh, on the right wing, um, which he was playing right wing last night after playing center the previous night. He played three C to get back into the game against um, uh, Michigan State on Friday night. However, that night Adam Fantilli got ejected and. Be yeah, he got ejected because I didn't realize fight. that. And when you get ejected, when you get ejected for a fight in college okay. hockey, it's an automatic one-game suspension. So he was suspended the night after, where they played against Michigan State. But that game was actually at okay. uh, Little Caesars. Uh, I did not realize he got into a fight. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Well, their definition of a fight in uh, uh, college hockey okay. is you throw one punch, because. Like, if there's pushing and shoving in after a whistle, then that's just roughing. But if you throw a punch, that classifies as a fight, and that's five in, and that's, and that's a, like five in a game. So there were multiple, one player on each team got uh, ejected for a fight that game. They were both suspended for the next game as well. Um, and that was Fantilli, who, who got ejected and suspended from that game. So with that, Fantilli was out of the lineup. So they moved... Nazer up to that line, shifted Gavin Brindley from the wing into center, and then put uh, Nazer on the wing. At times, Nazer was taking faceoffs. At times, he wasn't. It was kind of a rotation in and out. Michigan kind of plays fluid, kind of like positionless at times. They're like the closest thing you could have to positionless hockey that I've seen. 
very often you'll see the players and shifting positions being in different spots you obviously have defensemen and forwards but the forwards are often very fluid in terms of where they're playing on the ice but the goal itself was a really nice play by Nazer to um uh read the two-on-one really well the defenseman gave him the shot and he took the shot he didn't try to force the pass took the shot really nice selly and like the, the the call me selly it was really cool at the end um it was just a really uh fun uh it was a really good moment to see i thought it was fantastic that that happened how many points did he have um, yeah yeah points did he, did he have, have? Uh, he had two he had okay. two points on the night he ends up stripping the puck there almost gets tripped the defenseman tries to force him to pat, forces him to shoot, but he ends up deciding to take the shot and not force the pass, and he ends up scoring the goal. Really good awareness in that situation. He starts the play. There's a shot that could happen, but he decides not to. T- there, there's a pass um, across crease that could have happened, but it was a much riskier play. So he takes the shot instead, and he scores the goal. Really good play there by. Uh, Frank Nazar. Um, and then the other one with the goal in overtime. Here's what happened. So Michigan went down to a, took a penalty in overtime. So then that penalty was cleared. So by the time this goal was scored, it was actually four on four in overtime because they were at four on four and there hadn't been any whistles yet. So they hadn't uh, switched it back to five on five yet. Either incredible. Or back or... to three on three yet. So... <laughs> So they were at four on four. They were playing four on four in overtime, and because they because yeah because they didn't have any whistles yet, um, so they were still staying at four on four. What happened was um, I think it was uh, I think it was Gavin Brindley who took a shot from like from like the like beyond the circles. Nazer got a tip on it, so he got a deflection on the shot, but the shot was always going wide. The shot banks off the boards. And it falls to the stick of Luke Hughes, who's on, like, the left half wall, cutting inside, picks up the puck, shoots, and he scores with, like, yeah, less than a second no, left. No, wasn't there overtime. no time left? Official, okay. yeah, okay. pretty much. But the official time after they realized right. it, because obviously you stop the clock once the goal is but afterwards they saw and they realized that they got he got it off in time and it was like point it was like one or like point nine seconds left in the game when the puck actually crossed the line. It was just a hectic moment. Obviously, big rivalry as well. Um important game for Michigan as well. In- it was the last regular season game playing against Michigan State, heading into the Ten tournament next weekend. Why were they playing the game at uh Little Caesars Arena? Uh, just kind of a vanity event. They do this every year. It's like a it's like a rivalry game. Okay. So you know they have games in Ann Arbor at um at their arena there. They have games in East Lansing at the arena for Michigan State. And then every year they have one game where they go to Detroit and they play okay. there. And they call it the Duel in the D is the whole thing. Okay. Yeah. But um, he had he played very well, and he was one of many Blackhawks prospects who scored a goal yesterday. Yeah. Samuel Savoie scored a goal yesterday and actually got the first star in a game where he was not the leading goal scorer. Kevin Korczynski had a goal last night. Good. Um, as well. Uh, Aiden Thompson had a goal last night as Isaac well. Isaac Phillips. Um, Isaac Phillips did as well. That was Rockford. Um, there was also, um, as I said before, Samuel Savoie scored last night, which was good. 
Um, and then there was one more, along with Nazer, who scored. I can't entirely remember who it is off the top of my head right now. Oh, Gavin Hayes scored last That's night as well. good stuff, good stuff. And then the night before, the night before, Paul Ludwinski scored the game-winning shootout winner, and he also did a gritty. <laughs> All right. So... So now we have both uh, Savoie and Lidwinski who have grittied on goals that they've scored this season, <laughs> which is fun. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, you know, a, a fun little uh, quirky thing that we that we can discuss. Um, the the gritty the gritty prospects. <laughs> All right, and with that, let's get into our Rockford report for the week. All right, so Ice Hog, Ice Hogs played two games this week. Friday and Saturday night. John, how'd it go? Um, it went okay. We got a two points out of a possible four, so we moved up to third. Um, we are one point ahead of the Moose. They played tonight against the Marlies, so hopefully the Marlies smoke them because we want to stay in that third spot. So first game, we lost two to one. In the shootout against the Admirals, um, I, I think we actually played pretty well this game. I didn't watch it, but based on shot charts, shot charts, and then uh, yeah, forty six yeah, forty six shots. We didn't give them too many chances, but they did have their fair share. Um, we went zero for seven on the power play. That's not good. That might be a season high. But silver lining is they also went 0 for 4. So, yeah, good penalty performance. Uh, Rockford goes back to their old ways, and what's in the first goal of the game in the first period? Uh, Cole Schneider scored this goal uh, 8 minutes and 36 seconds in. And then Gutman ties it in the second. No scoring in the third. No scoring in the OT, obviously, because we went to the shootout. A lot of penalties, yeah, a lot though. of penalties. A lot of penalties, and one frust- one very frustrating penalty. I remember seeing this, and I was like... So we were in overtime. Lucas Reichel took a penalty with 30 seconds left in overtime. Which, obviously, that expels him from the shootout. If you're in the penalty box at the end of regulation. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Overtime. Okay. If you're, if you're in the penalty box at the end of uh, overtime, you're not allowed to participate in the shootout. That's interesting. All right. Interesting. I did not realize yeah, and that. He was unable to take a shot in the shootout, and the Hawks, Ice Hogs, lost two nothing in said shootout. So, I did watch a little bit of the shootout. Um, we have this weird uh, thing where we can't hit the net. So both of our shooters didn't hit the net, and then uh, maybe Lucas Franco would have helped. Yeah, having that would have helped, or having Lucas would have helped. Um, Soderboom does. Or Soderboom had an odd performance in the shootout. Usually he does pretty well. He he led in both goals in the shootout. So can't win them all in the shootout because I want to say we have a positive record in the shootout mm-hmm. because we're yeah. pretty good. There was the one other thing that happened, though. Yeah, we're in, and we'll get into that right now. The so bench press? We should have won this game. This next or the game that we had yesterday. Oh no, not not, not that. Oh. No, there's there's an there's another element. Um, the bench at the press end of, at the end of the shootout. So Askarov did, did made a choice. Made a def, made a choice. 
I thought it was cool. I, uh, I just think that there was there was a very specific part of this that I didn't think was cool. So what happened was he decided that he wanted to pull down the net above him and then just bench press the, yeah. the goal. Bench press the goal with the crossbar. And it was kind of funny. It was cool. haha. What I found to be a really dumb part before that was he put his stick on top of the goal. So he put his stick he put his stick on top of the goal. So what happened is when he started the bench press, the stick fell on him. And almost and I saw and I saw a little bit after the goal almost fell on him too, and his teammate saved his life. Yeah. Yeah, the teammates saved him from getting crushed by the net. And that's why I mean, like, I thought it was a really creative moment, but I think that it was an okay celebration. I think that in terms of like the actual execution, I think it could have been done a lot better. Um I th- I th- I don't know if this is true, so don't quote me on this, but I heard somewhere that he did it after his first shutout as well. He did the whole bench pressing thing. So maybe it's like okay. his own little thing. Ah. Uh, maybe. So now as I was referencing earlier, we should have won this game in the shootout, but we'll mm-hmm. get into that when we get into the shootout portion of this game. So we lose four to three in the shootout. Uh, last Remi- night. reminder, quick reminder before we start this: uh, the previous game had only two rounds of shootouts. This had fifteen. Go. <laughs> um, we lose four to three in the shootout. This is our wearing the six- nice Screw City jerseys. Yes, wearing the nice Screw City jerseys that Nick loves. Um, this is our sixth straight game going to extras. So we looked it up, and it what we found the we found a record that was broken in 2019, that, which was five straight games with OT. I couldn't find anything that makes it believe that that was broken because obviously we have six here. The NHL hasn't post or the AHL hasn't posted about it on their website, so maybe it's not a broken record. But by all accounts, from what we researched at the game it was a broken record so i don't know okay well it's six straight games of going to overtime yeah. slash shootout and the earliest record we found was five in 2019 so that's we don't... pretty interesting so maybe we have a broken record that has been unreported by the ahl possibly kind of like how no one kind of like how guinness book of world records still has uh gory how is the record for most career professional games played when yager has broken it and no one's noticed wait really yeah that was broken a while ago yeah and they still have i think that guinness still has gory how on their list of most professional games played in a career at any level and that's weird uh okay. and now yager has the most ever professional points as a professional hockey player yeah <laughs> all right so that's that's definitely interesting so we outshot them again 41 to 30 34 um i'm trying to see this shot chart okay so yeah we didn't have that many chances but neither the day everything was on the outside for both teams so pretty even in my opinion um, so we get, we actually get the first goal of the game. Nick mentioned earlier, Isaac Phillips got this goal, um, 30, 38 seconds in. So I didn't, I didn't even see it because it was we a were, snipe. We were preparing for, uh, intermission stuff. And then, uh, Cole Schneider scores again to tie the game. 
And then Cole Gottman gets another goal. So he's been hot recently. I should mention that both Schneider's goal and Gutman's goal were power play goals. We were two, f- uh, we were one for five on the power play. They were two for three. So not a great night for special teams. Um. So then, sorry, excuse me. Um, the Admirals uh, tie it with Jordan Gross. Um, another power play goal. Uh, in the second period. And then Tyler's favorite ice hog, Mike Hardman, scores a goal to tie it again, or no, to take the lead. And then uh, John Leonard tied it. Ah, yes, John Leonard, Sharks legend. Um, nothing of note happened in the third period. We controlled play in overtime. Like I think they had one. Uh, the Admirals had one chance. We had about like five. And it just sucks we couldn't get a goal. We couldn't score. We had like... So we had five chances, like five shots on net, but then we had like another four missed shots. Oh, yeah. And then we had a power play too in OT, but we couldn't score. Mm-hmm. All right, so now we get on to the shootout, which was infuriating. It was nuts. So... what to start off with saying this. Arvid Soderboom carried. He was given no help. None at all. Nope, none at all. So, I think we scored, like, what, twice? Yeah, we, so Michael Tebley scored first, and then Cole Gutman scored, as he usually does. Now, yeah. what the infuriating part Gutman was... fifth round. Yeah. yeah. See, they scored, they scored in their second round, we scored in our first round, and then, you know, after that you go into sudden death. So, both teams scored in the fifth round... And then after that, just keeps on going. So, all right, here's the infuriating part. So, Luke Evangeliska doesn't get a good shot. Or, no, he did get a good shot on that, but Arvid just saved it because Arvid's good in the shootout. Now we go to Philip Tomasino, who's the second shooter. He loses possession of the puck. He skates past the puck. He has to bring his stick back and get the puck back. And then he scores. That goal should have been waved off. Did he ever turn around? Did he ever turn around? I don't believe so. But he lost possession of the puck and he had to bring it back. If because the puck, he, skate, he skated past it. If the puck never moved backwards, the rule is that the puck just has to keep moving forwards. So if the puck never stopped and the puck never moved backwards, I'm, I'm gonna, then I think that it's fine. I'm gonna, I have the goal right. Or I have the right here so i'm looking at it yeah the the puck did move back or it looks like it did it looked moved backwards it looks like it it looked like it moved backwards based on the video i just saw on the ice hogs youtube channel wow and another note i do not like the whole like order of the shooters Mm -hmm. here we had adam clendenning go before david gust um repeat that we had Adam Clendenning go before David Gus. I'm seeing this right now. I'm Why? Seeing shooters. Yeah. Um. I get you want to space out your like your your scores, but Adam Clendenning should be nowhere near the shootout. You can't even you can't even argue spacing out your scores at that point. They were in sudden death. You gotta put your best guy out there every time. Th- you know what, Tyler? You are completely valid in that in that uh, take. Um. 
yeah, my take is invalid. I'm sorry about that. You are completely yeah, valid. So you got you to gotta put, put your best shooter out there every single time. Your next best shooter. And for me, when I'm looking at this right here, I'm looking and I'm seeing Philip Bruce didn't... They, I mean, they had 15 guys who took shots in here. Um, I don't think Philip Bruce played last night, but I do believe Jakob Galvis did, and he didn't take a shot. Philip Bruce played. I have the lineup. I don't believe Bruce played, but I do believe Galvis did. Yeah, Roos didn't, Galvis did. Crevier was one of the other guys who didn't take a shot. And then the last guy who Like I do like the beginning. The last like guy, Tepley so should I think the, the I think Tepley should be always take yeah. be the first shooter because he's usually yeah. good so the at three it. guys who didn't take shots were um Jakob Galvis, Louis Crevier, and Carson Jasevitz. Which I think that that's pretty fair. Yeah, that's completely. Fair. I mean, you were by the end of it, you're kind of running out of options. The fifteenth right. shooter that they had was Alex Vlasic. I would have had more guys go before, um, like I would have had like Slavin or Phillips go before Clendenning. Yeah, but you know, at that point, you're I would have. Of... I, I might have had my Cardman go before Adam Clendenning. Just, just crazy, frustrating that crazy we lost shootout that situation. shootout. Just a bunch of shots that. It was just a crazy situation in general, the fact that you went 15 rounds of shoot- shootouts and that you have six straight games of overtime. Yeah. So at least we're getting points. Yeah, much better than before. Um, I want to see how far we are behind second because they might be within striking distance. Mm. I think it's yeah. I think it's the Admirals who are in second. It's five points, and we've played one more game. We've also played one more game. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be difficult, but you know it's not insurmountable. No, neither is neither is the Texas Stars, who are seven points ahead with one less game. If we get, I should also mention get on a hot streak, and also you know the teams below them, specifically Manitoba, who has played less games and only has one less point, and Iowa, same number of games but still only one less point. Yeah. If they get on the hot streak, they could catch the top, but they also got to make sure that they don't fall behind the teams below them because they're in a pretty tough situation in terms of they could be anywhere from fifth to third in the likely scenarios, and they could catch second or first if they get, they get really good. Today. If they do really well, or they tomorrow. could catch second or third. But okay, so the only, the only game tomorrow is Manitoba versus Toronto, like I mentioned earlier. We are rooting hard for Toronto. Mm-hmm. Who does Iowa play next? Well, they don't play for. Well, Iowa bit. plays the Ice Hogs um, later. They play. They play three times. Iowa plays three more Iowa times. Plays Manitoba three more times this month, and then that's the end. And then that's the end of the Ice Hogs playing against the Wild. They play this team too many. They play this team way too many times. Yeah. So on Wednesday, the Iowa Wild play the Manitoba Moose. Um, I don't know who we want to win that game because I don't think in the I think in the end it really won't matter. I think you just I think you just got to focus on yourself. We also play that night too. So if we win, let's just say this: the Ice Hogs need to win quite a bit, uh, win enough before after uh, before after the trade deadline because there's going to be players on Ice Hogs roster getting called up to the Blackhawks after the deadline. I have a question about that. Do so. Considering considering that we are sellers and we will be making trades, like ninety nine percent sure about that. 
or we are all 99% sure about that. Do we go more for draft picks or more for like prospects who can play in the league right now? Um, I think it. I think it'll really depend on what you're given. I think it'll depend on what you're given. I think that some of the guys, if we're offered prospects, some of them will be guys who are like playing in Europe or playing in junior somewhere. Not guys who you would stick right in the AHL. But also, there's other guys who you could get in trades, who would be guys you could like put in Rockford right away. Or like a young swap guy that you could put in a, in a trade that could go into Rockford or the NHL right away. It'll depend. We'll have to see what happens. I think that it's more a wait and see situation than anything for the entire case of it. I feel like it's pretty important that Rockford does well in the playoffs if they make it. It will make the play if they make the. This is the thing. The Ice Hogs need to win out before the trade deadline in the NHL because players like Reichel will get caught up to the Blackhawks to fill in roster spots. Yeah, and obviously it's a minor league team, so you want success there, but you don't need success there. Exactly. But it would be good. It would be nice. It would be really nice. It would be really good for some of these guys to get, like, a... Early in your career, you can say that you went on a Calder Cup run. That's cool. That's something that people... Something you would like to be able to have, like, playoff experience at a very high level at a very young age. And those are guys who, if they perform well against the other best players in the AHL, and we prove ourselves against those guys, we can say, hey, these are guys who can step in next year. We've already seen it from Phillips and Reichel. There's... Definitely promise with both of them. And we saw with Roos, there's definitely promise there too. So we'll have to see more there. But I think that we shouldn't base our decisions off the Ice Hogs being good. We should just, you know, we should just make sure that the players who are there are put in we should, we should obviously just make sure that the players who are there are put in positions to succeed. And now that Soderblom, now that Soderblom is back to performing at his best, as we had seen previously, I'm happy with that situation. And I think that now that's a place that we can say again, okay, now we can say again, the Ice Hogs are a place you want to put players to develop them. Because for like a couple weeks there, it was a little bit testy, but now I think we're back. I have to say this, Soderbloom's black mask and pads worked perfectly with those uh, Screw City uniforms. Mm-hmm. Much better. I wasn't saying we should base off our decision or base our decision on the tra- uh, trade deadline not. moves Obviously off not. the off the Ice Hogs. I was just simply asking the question. So, like, what's going to happen to the team after the yeah, fact? Yeah. We'll see. We'll have to see. It'll depend on how many... Because it could be rough. It just depends on how many of the assets we receive are picks and how many of them are people. Right. Because if if things go more towards a pick route, it could be rough. Mm. And we will also have to take on some salary, too. Right. And there will be teams who will be willing to give us stuff to take on salary. Right. have so much salary cap space, they're going to weaponize it. Oh, we have to. We're going to have to. It's not even just that we want to. We're going to need to do that. Um, we have some questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. We should definitely sign David Gus. Yes. yes. He's been we good this year. Definitely, we should definitely give David Gus an NHL contract. I think that at minimum, he 
he deserves the opportunity to play some games in the NHL. Because, again, I thought he had a pretty decent preseason as well. He did. I thought he was lively in the preseason, and it really sparked his impressive AHL All-Star campaign. So, I, I could see goes. David Gus getting a contract right after the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. I, th- I hope he does. Um, and then... I think that we're going to end the podcast with one final question. By Donnell. Today is Super Bowl Day. Today is Super Bowl Day. So, Nick, Chiefs or Eagles, who do you think is going to win the Super Bowl? This one's a tough one because I'm not big I'm not big on either team to be quite honest. I'm going to say it's going to be a close game and we'll see the Eagles pull out the Super Bowl when with a score of 41-38. Yeah. Yeah, close game. Close game with the Eagles winning it in the end. Um, John? I'm in a very nice situation this year, or the last two years I've been. I'm happy with whoever wins, really. Um, I like I love the Chiefs. They're probably my second favorite team because Patrick Mahomes is there, and he's just electric all the time, 24-7. And I love the Eagles, too. They're a good story. Um, I was not big on Jalen Hurts, but now I am because he's proving me wrong. So I like when guys do that. So I'm happy with whoever wins. I'm just cheering for a good game. I think that the Eagles... It's a tough one. Um, It's going to be a close game. I think it will. I think it will. I think think the Chiefs will win. I don't think the Chiefs are as complete as they've been in previous years. That's, That's... that's a good point. I don't think that the Chiefs are as complete as they've been, like when they won against San Francisco, or even like that year where the Patrick Mahomes' first year starting. I don't think they're as complete of a team now as they are back then, and that's going to continue because of the cap crunch you're going to keep on having. Because of that salary they gave uh, Mahomes, well, which obviously it's like a hundred like, million dollars. And of course, the situation you got there I is, I think that the w- the way you got to say it is, you kind of had to, right? Yeah. You just kind of had to. There really was no other choice. But the Eagles have been so dominant this entire season. I don't know if there's been. Minutes. I don't know if there's been a game where they've looked bad, at all. There's been barely any games where they've looked bad. They've consistently been dominant the entire season. They still have. They've still got. You know, they still have elite. They they have. They're elite in the trenches in both both uh, offensive line and defensive line. They're still that way. They've always been that way. I think they'll win it, and I think it'll be a not quite as close as it as many are saying. I'm gonna say something closer to like thirty-five to twenty-four. Okay. And then I think I want to just just throw it out there. I think we're all in agreement. Arvid Soderblom, player of the week for the for the ice. Right. Yes. Yeah. Good week by Arvid. Yeah. Um, he didn't give up more than three goals. Yeah, that was including much, OT and all those. Much games. better as of late. I'm really happy he was actually able to successfully reset his head. Yeah, as of late, and you know, Stauber's doing well in the NHL. Soderblom's doing well in the AHL. I think that there will come a time soon. Obviously, we can't. We can't. We we just can't rely on Staylock. We just simply can't rely on Staylock. On uh, Mrazek. We can't rely. on Morazic, but he's still going to be there. He's going to be there this year. He's going to be there okay. next year. He's going to hey, be a person. Here's a question. Could we see a potential of the Hawks buying out Morazic and then signing 
Simeon Varlamov from the Islanders when he drops for free agency. You know, that is a there that is a duo of points in there. Um Varlamov, I've always I have, have I have always thought highly of Simeon Varlamov. How many how many years is Mrazic? I think have? it would be a smart move. One year. Mrazic has one more one, year. Mrazic has one season after this one. Okay. But I do think that he could get bought out. I don't know. I think it would be smart to sign a goalie like Varlamov. I think that it really Varlamov's depends on how him. close they view Soderblom to being a capable long to, or to being a full-time backup next season. Do you think he's a full-time backup next season? Yes. Yeah. And that's why I think, I think well. if they go after a better goalie in Varlamov next year, if they try and sign someone like that in free agency, it will be a beneficial for Soderblom's yeah. development in the NHL because Varlamov's mm. been on bad teams. The Avalanche were bad oh, teams yeah. with him on it. And the one thing I remember with that Avalanche team, that one awful Avalanche team, one of the big reasons they were really bad is because he was hurt most oh, of the yeah. season. Got Jonathan Quick as he's, he's going agents, to retire or this year. Jonathan Quick, Varlamov. He never played. He never played for the Hawks, anyways. Bishop Anderson, Bishop, Bishop Bernier, Talbot. All these a lot of old guys. Uh, a, lot Jerry. Are, a, lot, a lot of those guys are injured too. Yeah, Kadobin. Kadobin's playing in the AHL. <laughs> um, Nadelf, Nadelkovich, Blackwood, uh, Optimus Rhyme. You know, Carell, no, um, you said uh, Mackenzie Blackwood. Yeah. I mean, that I mean, we'll see what happens. Obviously, like who we sign next year as a goalie is not like the, the franchise isn't going to depend on it. Right. But we are going to need to sign some. We're going to need to sign someone to be we're a mentor, in my opinion. And that's why I think Varlamov might be the right option to do it. Oh yeah, I I think that that would be a pretty good. That option. means one it of them will, will have to change partially. up numbers. It will have to partially depend on what happens with um, Mrazek. I think he could get bought out. It's I a, really do. It's a fair question to ask because we know Davidson's not afraid to fair. use the buyout. It is fair. No, he isn't. Um, I also am going to just check right now so I can see. Um, thanks to the greatest website of all time, CapFriendly. Um, if Mrazek was to be bought out, his cap hit would be... Hundred sixty thousand next year, and then one point four million the year after. Now the one point the one point four million the year after. That's the one where you're looking at and you're like, see, you're just adding one point four million to the salary cap next season. I think that maybe, considering that that's the season where like you want to start being not disastrous. Maybe maybe you want to just have Mrazic next year, and then you just don't have him the year after counting at all. Still going to be the thing. The Hawks are going to be fighting to even get to the cap seal, like the cap floor at that point in two years. Because if you can buy out Mrazic, you're going to have a... And they will be next year. They will be next yeah. year as well. And next year... They're so they're gonna be fighting to reach the salary floor next year, and if they buy out Mrazic, that hurts their chances. You know, I agree with Nick. I think Mrazic should be. Bought I just out. think like we can't depend I on think the guy. I think it would be smart to get a better goalie to mm. be a mentor 
toward sort right, of and then we need a mentor development. Yeah. And I also and then we would can't say, depend on the guy. Yeah. I also would say that regardless of the quality of a goalie, I think the most important thing is just having a goalie who's reliable for being able to be on the ice right. because both what of we've our seen this year what we've seen this year the biggest issue between Stalock and Mor- and Morazic, they get hurt and then you have to call up Soderblom. You have to call up Stauber. You have to put these guys in positions that they're not ready for. And sure, Stauber's thrived. And for the beginning, Soderblom has thrived. But how long until Stauber starts reaching a cold spell? And once that happens, is he going to be stuck in the NHL because Stalock is hurt? And how bad? it's going to be a bad situation for him if he's stuck in the NHL because we can't send him down because we don't have the guys to keep him down and that's for me is the thing there so i think the most important thing is bringing in goalies that are healthy regardless of talent i think the goalies need to be guys who are consistently healthy because you need to have a plan that can be that can stay as it is initially as the season goes on yeah for your development of your goalies especially because like Camesso. Might be signing at the end. Of he the might season. be in the. He be, might be in Rockford next year for sure. I think he could be. I I think he actually will be in Rockford next year. I think he's gone after this season. Yeah. I really do. The what? Does he have one more year of eligibility for? He has one NCAA? more year. He has one more year NCAA. I think he actually technically has two because you know they give a free year back for COVID reasons. But this is next year would be his fourth year. Okay. And after that, he could technically. Sign and you with said anyone. he started playing. He started to play well, right? He's playing better. He is playing better recently. And they're they're a very good team. They're heading to the NCAA tournament. They're going to be in that tournament most likely. So I, for me, as I'm viewing the situation, you got to make sure the goalies you have in the NHL next year are healthy. Because whether it's Soderblom, Stauber, Camesso, any combination of the three or all of them. You gotta have them on sustainable development plans that aren't fractured because the goalies ahead of them are yeah. breaking. Uh, he has no timeline. Who knows? What it's even a is concussion. it? Is it you like a, cannot give a, a concu- timeline oh, a con- on it. Yeah, you can't, you can't predict a concussion. Yeah, those, are, those things are those things are toxic. You don't want to. You don't want to. You want to mess with. You do not want to mess with those. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Miami. All right, and that's going to be everything for today's live stream and podcast. So make sure as well that you follow all of us on Twitter. That will be in the description as well. Make sure you follow our Hockey Puckcast Twitter account as well. That is spelled the same way as the uh, podcast itself. Hockey Puckcast, H-A-W-K-E-Y-P-U-C-K-C-A-S-T. That is the at for the Twitter account as well. Thank you so much for joining us, Nick. And been a interesting week but let's go hawks yeah let's go hawks and john good to see Soderbloom back to being his old self that we all love good to see Soderbloom back good to see mazer back good to see some goals from a lot of different places it's been a fairly good week in terms of you know the development going forward and what we've seen had some bad weeks recently but this was a really good one towards the future of the hawks My name is Tyler, this has been the Hockey Podcast, and we will see y'all next time. Take care.
Music for this podcast was Cool Rock by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Find out more at creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash buy forward slash 4.0.